0: Today we have a longer episode of the Poker podcast as we discuss a hand that I butchered a few weeks back. You're going to hear a lot of people talking about how bad I played the hand, and in hindsight, I really did. But the reality is it's a hand that I can learn from, it's a hand that you can learn from. So I think there's some really good stuff in here. It's a long episode, a lot of great input. So listen to the different ways people approach it, and listen to the principles behind the words that they say, about the decisions that they would make, and I think we can all improve our game from that. Glad I could help you all out. Well, greetings, everybody. This is Steve Fredland, welcoming you once again to the Rec Poker Podcast. This is our 56th episode already. Thanks for your support and encouragement as we continue to grow this thing. We are officially sponsored by running aces casino and racetrack and we have also partnered with next level poker as our official tour the poker is fun tour and pokercoaching.com this week we're going to shift gears and we're going to start spending a few weeks looking at some specific hand scenarios so allow our experts to get in uh, move a little bit more from the general into the specific and teach us the principles through some application in specific hands And today we're going to look at one of the hands that I played in one of the day ones of the Hollow Scream tournament. Uh, But before we do that, uh, Mike Schneider, who is the founder of the Poker is Fun tour and a huge uh, supporter of All In for Africa, wanted to share some thoughts about the All In for Africa tournament and more generally uh, the importance of charity tournaments in the poker community. So before we get into the hand. We're going to have just a couple of minutes, uh, some brief thoughts from Mike on this, and then we will get into that hand, including uh, thoughts on that hand from several recreational players, uh, as well as thoughts from our experts, Hall of Famer Mike Schneider, World Series of Poker Bracelet winner Chris Fox-Wallace, and famous uh, poker player and author
1: Jonathan Little. Hi, this is Mike Schneider, or some of you know me as Schneids, and I'm uh, representing the Poker is Fun Tour. It's today. Just gonna talk about All In for Africa and the value of charity tournaments in general, which I think that All In for Africa is a freaking awesome tournament. Fantastic time! If you have never played it, I would really uh, recommend that you try to fit it in your calendar when it's back at Canterbury sometime. Probably this spring would be my guess. But Yeah, why I like it? I mean, I I think that one of the one of the things uh, during the poker boom, what we all screwed up on was not trying to incorporate poker in the community together as one. And uh, things like the All In For Africa event really helped bring in players who don't normally play poker but recognize that it's fun and allows like some of us more serious players a chance to connect with these casual players and for everybody in the community to kind of see that Poker players are good people too. Like I know, there's kind of a little bit of a stigma within certain parts of society where, though that part of society thinks that gamblers are degens or just you know slimy shady people that contribute no good to society, and by participating in in charity tournaments and a, it's a it's a really good good way for us as poker players to try to show the community and the world that. We are we are good caring people too, and, and I like the all-in for Africa, which I've they've had seven seven of them now, and I've played in six of the seven. I missed one just due to a vacation that I, I had already scheduled. But I I like the fact that I meanwhile well, Steve does a great job like rallying the troops and getting a a large group of well-known poker players to agree to come play, which that that's cool in in itself. But it's just a, like a thing where. I think one of the things that I acknowledge that is a little bit tricky about some charity events is that it's hard to balance money going for charity, but still having a prize pool that gets people excited to play. And what I like what Steve has done with All In For Africa is that, that as you may or may not know, he gets a lot of players to uh, agree to donate bounty prizes. So it could be cash, it could be sunglasses, it could be gift cards, it could be poker lessons it could be shirts like just a whole variety of different cool bounties that are on so you get seated at a table there's three four five players at your table that are all bounties and so it's a way to make it so at half or sixty percent of the prize pool is going towards a charity cause and even if the prize pool itself isn't quite as big you still have a lot to play for once you're factoring in the bounties and i think that's an important feature for trying to uh, make a tournament that has value for people to play but also does a lot of good for a cause and like that's why i i will continue to support all in for africa and why i guess i've already kind of addressed why i think it's important for a charity to be a component in poker as as we try to continue to move towards getting online poker legalized like uh, a lot of those like small little steps like if it gets to the news that that uh various different poker things generated x dollars towards charity and and as uh, as just like more and more people get o- their eyes open to the fact that lots of money is being raised by poker players for the world for the community for just for all different kinds of good but yeah that's uh probably about all the thoughts i have on the uh, value of charity tournaments but uh yeah, which uh, now to tie this a little bit back to the Poker's FUD Tour, uh, I mean I've only only had one event so far, but more will be coming up in twenty eighteen, and and uh, my mission statement for Poker's FUD Tour aligns very closely with a lot of things I just said. Is that every tournament has a portion of the prize pool withheld for charity, and and uh, I also try to uh, get local businesses. To pledge matching donations, so if we raise X dollars, they're going to contribute Y dollars to match it, and whatever they weigh whatever way they want, whether it's ten percent, one hundred percent, one lump sum, it just for me, it's uh, it's really important to try to generate a generate a decent amount of money towards a lot of different causes, which. My first Poker is Fun Tour event, we raised uh, almost $2,500 for Second Harvest Heartland. And with that, until next time, this was Mike Schneider. You can find Poker's Fun Tour on the internet at piftpoker.com. Yep, thanks and goodbye.
0: Running Aces Casino and Racetrack has the best poker room in Minnesota, featuring 24-7 promos on all cash poker games, including earning $2 per hour in comps. Plus, the most player friendly tourney structures. Visit runaces.com for daily promotions and the tournament calendar. Running Aces Casino and Racetrack, the official sponsor of Rec Poker. Okay, so here's the hand scenario, and I'm going to put this out on uh, Facebook as well as in the show notes. Uh, Depending on where you get your podcast, you'll be able to pick those up. And I'll maybe try to link to it on Twitter as well, but it'll probably be through Facebook uh, because they're pretty extensive. Uh, notes. Uh, So if you want to go out there and kind of review the scenario beforehand, uh, if you want to kind of think through what you would do in these situations, uh, because it's a lot of information, uh, but I will offer it here as well. So here's the situation. Uh, It was a $280 buy-in tournament. There were six different day ones which includes buybacks. So if you advance to day two twice, you play the bigger stack and you get $1,200 for the small one that you forfeited. You start with 20,000 chips and you play 16 30 minute levels on day one. So I had already advanced with a small stack in day 1A and I was playing day 1B, B, very tough table, uh, but I did manage to build from 20,000 up to 60,000 about halfway through the day. So we're in level eight, the blinds are 300, 600 with a 50 ante and we're at a 10 handed table. So I'm in the cutoff and it's folded to me. Uh, I have a very solid image. Everything I've shown down has been a very good hand. I think my image is pretty tight. Uh, So I decided to open to 1500 with King-Jack offsuit. So I had King of Spades and Jack of Clubs. So the first question is, what do you think of this uh, sort of open, uh, late position, two and a half uh, times the big blind with King-Jack offsuit, um, and it had been folded to me. So I open that up, and I get called by the button who is a very solid player. He doesn't get out of line usually, but is definitely capable of floating and applying pressure. Uh, I know he has pushed me out of pots in the past. His name is Derek Murphy for those those of you in Minnesota. Very tough player. And uh, unfortunately, he is the only stack at the table uh, that is bigger than me. Uh, He has about 70,000 chips. So the big stack on my left uh, just flats me pre-flop with my open of King Jack offsuit. The blinds fold and Derek and I are heads up with a pot of 4,400 chips. Now I've got uh, the king of spades and the jack of clubs and the flop comes ace of clubs, ten of spades, three of spades. So at this point uh, I just have king high, I have I guess a, a gut shot um, and I've got a backdoor uh, flush draw. So I'm thinking that this is better for my open range than his button call range uh, right or wrong that was my thought and I decided to continuation bet for $1,500. So the next question I ask folks is what do you think of my continuation bet here? So I continue for $1,500 uh, putting the pot at $5,900 and now Derek re-raises me and he re-raises me big. He, he goes to $6,000. Uh, so now it's going to cost me about $4,500 to call uh, into a pot of what's now $11,900 and I decided to call. Uh, which brought the pot to sixteen thousand four hundred. And my thought process here was that I could actually have the best hand. Uh, I know Derek, and I know he's capable of making that raise and applying pressure. Uh, maybe with something like two spades, uh, say king queen or queen jack, uh, that aren't spades. Uh, he could also have a ten, and he wants to see what I do. Um, so, uh, and, and if I, I think if I if I call the re-raise, it may cause him to slow down in the turn. So. Uh, if if he's got a 10, then any um, king, queen, or jack gives me the best hand. If he has an ace, then I do have outs to the nuts with a queen. And also another spade gives me outs to the second nut flush. So it does seem a little bit loose, but I wanted to see what transpired on the turn uh, I also wanted to make sure I wasn't just being pushed around because in these sorts of tournaments you're going to be have a lot of pressure applied all the time, so you sometimes need to uh, stand up a little bit. Uh, maybe I could have re-raised if I really wanted to stand up, but I decided to just flat here see what happened on the turn, uh, and so the next question I asked was what are your thoughts about calling uh, Derek's re-raise here. Okay, so the turn is the Ace of Spades. So now the board is Ace, 10, 3, Ace. Uh, with three spades on there, I have the king of spades and jack of clubs. So with the ace and the spades, my thinking here is that this decreases um, part of his range that includes an ace. Uh, obviously, he still could have an ace, but the number of combinations uh, have been reduced, so that underweights a little bit uh, that potential. And now I pick up outs to the nut flush. So I decide to check again for pot control, hoping I can see a cheap uh, cheap river, and Derek fires 10,000 into the 16,400 pot, building it to 264. So <laughs> my thoughts now are that I'm probably beat, um, but not completely sure that I'm beat. There's a chance that I'm beat. Uh, he could have an ace or a 10 or something like pocket jacks, pocket queens. Uh, potentially he also has pocket threes as well, which would give him a full house. Uh, some of his range is going to have me drawing dead. Things like ace 10, uh, pocket 10s, pocket threes. But I do feel like a fair amount of his range I can beat with a speed with a with a queen or a spade, um, so I figure I probably have eleven outs here. Uh, yeah, there's a chance I'm drawing dead, but I think if a queen or a spade comes, which uh, is going to happen with eleven of the cards in the river, um, I do think I'm probably good. Um, and also, there's a small chance that a king or a queen is good. Um, or, or, I'm sorry, a king or a jack is good. If he's got a 10, then a king or a jack is also good. So I decided to call, thinking the implied odds are pretty good here, and I'm getting 2.6 to 1. As I look back, it seems a little bit dicey now. Uh, but if I'm going to trust my read on the flop that he was maybe putting pressure on with a fair amount of his range, I don't think he would slow down with that card. Uh, I think he knows that if I had an ace, I probably would have re-raised him on the flop. So uh, I'm sort of trusting my instincts here a little bit that uh, that he... Is putting pressure on me with a fair amount of his range. Uh, so I, I did uh, I did call the turn bet, and so I asked our, our folks uh, what their thoughts were on that. And now the river brings the four of spades. Uh, so I've completed my nut flush now. So short of a full house or quads, I have the nuts. Uh, I beat any spades, I beat any straights, I beat any, uh, any two-pair combinations, any uh, trips or sets, that sort of thing. Oh, um, well, I beat trips, I don't beat sets, because yeah, sets would be a full house. But anyway, I've... I've got the card that I've been looking for. I've been looking for this all along and I finally hit my card. Uh, I do decide to check again uh, for both pot control and also to induce if he was betting a flush or if he was bluffing, uh, I want to give him a chance to bet at this. So I'm planning on just check calling here. Uh, on the river it's pretty tough for me to check fold here when i finally get uh, what i wanted so i'm planning on just check calling even though i'm super happy with just a check check because that would probably mean i'm for sure good so he bets 25,000 into the pot of 26.4 pretty much a pot size bet most of the my remaining chips uh, it doesn't bust me but it is most of my remaining chips it seemed like a big bet and in my mind obviously i think he's quite polarized here i mean if he has just an ace uh, he's just checking behind. If he has just a spade, he's checking behind. If he has a ten, he's checking behind. A jacks or queens, he's checking behind. So, um, you know what I think he's betting here is either a full house uh, or quads, or he is betting air. So I'm getting two to one on that. Um, I personally, uh, first of all, I hit my card, uh, which is hard, but I also believe that um, there is a reasonable chance that he is. Um, he is betting with air here. So I know I'm either crushed or I'm ahead. Um, so it's tricky for me. Um, but anyway, uh, I, I figure it was probably 50-50 uh, or at least 60-40 that he had it versus didn't have it. Uh, the pot was very big. I'm looking to build a big stack for Day 1B. Um, I know Derek is capable of this. Even though he normally doesn't get out of line, I do think he is capable of this against me because he knows I'm willing to fold. Um if if i do call and i'm wrong uh, i'm not out of the tournament and i actually still have 15 or 20 big blinds left um obviously it takes a big dent uh, but i do decide to call and so the question i would have is what do you think of the river call uh, as played in this situation now derek did have ace 10 so he did uh, flop two pair and then he turned the full house uh, so he took down that pot um, and obviously it's the result that I'm not looking for, but what I ultimately want to know is the decision process along the way. Uh, is this just a cooler, or is this uh, a way I could have played different? And not just focusing on the result, but actually focusing on uh, Derek's entire range in these situations. Um, so the only, the only decision that I'm actually super confident about is my decision to open pre-flop from the cutoff with King Jack. Uh, beyond that, I'm still not sure about any of them, whether I should have you know, checked check folded the flop or check called the flop rather than lead out and then uh, calling the turn and calling the river all of those sorts of things i go back and forth on it obviously it was a big hand uh in a big situation there um the river was really one of those situations where i i stayed on the turn thinking a spade gives me the best hand and so when i got there uh, it makes it tough for me to fold uh, given my read on Derek. So with that, now let's hear from some of our uh, some of my recreational buddies that wanted to get involved here. Uh, some of these are written, some of these are audio, so I'll I'll kind of go back and forth. But the first uh, response is from Vic Swanson. Shout out, Vic. How we doing? Uh, Vic says I agree that the pre-flop raise was well done. I also agree doing a continuation bet after the flop is good. I would have likely bet more, roughly a third of the pot, but after being re-raised, I would have just tossed my hand without thinking twice. If he's holding an ace, I only have 4 outs at most. Heck, if he's holding a 10, I still have to hit. It wouldn't be worth it for me. But do suppose I call. I also check the turn, just like you did. If he tosses out a big bet after the turn, I don't hit it anyway. I let the hand go here as well. There's no way I play any further, so I'm not going to analyze much beyond here. With that being said, I will bring up the idea behind his bet size that you didn't bring up. He was likely betting big on the turn for two potential reasons. He was hoping you had an ace or on a flush draw, and after the boat hits, he's hoping you still like your strong ace and or even better, you hit the flush. So if you did, he can bet a greater amount and still have a chance of being paid off. He doesn't know you don't have the flush yet, but he's betting big, hoping you do. This was another red flag, in my opinion, as to why you fold after the turn if you didn't after the flop. Yes, I agree that he could be bluffing, but you are calling, hoping to hit on the river, and this is an ugly situation if I'm playing. All right, good stuff. Thanks, Vic. Uh, let's hear some audio from Chris Gorton. So King Jack
2: on the cutoff for 1,500. That seems reasonable, but not sure I would play it. kind of depends on how I've been doing and the odds of being called. The 1,500 can you continuation is good. You have potential, can get it right there if they didn't hit and figure you on an ace. If you check and he bets, you have no idea if he has something or just betting on your weakness. When he raises for 6k, I assume he has the ace and fold. But if people know I do that or are real aggressive, maybe re-raise. But most likely I would just fold there. Uh, When you get the ace of spades, not sure why. You don't think he could already have the flush also. Then even making the straights no good, and neither flush or straights are good against a full house, and you currently don't even have a pair unless you count the ace he has too, what are the odds he is betting 10k with nothing? Nevertheless, raise your initial 1500 bet without at least an ace with strong kicker, either hoping to take it right there, maybe even hoping you have an ace if he has that beat. He bet 10k, doesn't seem worried you have a flush. So now you you have the nut flush. If you made it this far, yes, you have to call. Otherwise, what were you staying for? Couldn't have gotten anything else better. Um, you did good with the check, because I might have bet and lost even more, or everything there. So, um, just my thoughts. Hope that helps. Have a wonderful night. Thanks.
0: All right, thank you, Chris. And now here's what Joe Hills had to say. I like the open from the cutoff. I think it's too tight to not open there. I like the continuation bet as well. Your range has way more aces than his. He should usually fold to a bet here, but when he raises you, he's either drawing or has a big hand. I think it's more likely he has a big hand here because he's in position with the draw he could could call to see a turn. And he gets to see if you slow down or continue to bet. If you slow down and he missed, he can win with a bet on the turn. It's a safer play with the draw than raising the flop, in my opinion. It's easy for me to say, but for those reasons, I'd put him on a big one. So I'd fold to the raise on the flop, I think. But once you call and get there, I think you got to pay it off. That being said, on the turn, you might be drawing dead. It's unlikely, but possible. Which was the case, unfortunately. I could see myself playing it the same sometimes, to be honest, though. It's really close. Just a cooler on the river, in my opinion. Thank you, Joe. Uh, Let's hear some audio from Rob Washam.
3: Okay, Steve, here we go. My first thought is that King Jack Off is a hand with reverse implied odds. It is okay to attempt to steal when folded to in the cutoff, but I would have to flop huge to continue here. I like the two-and-a-half big blind open as long as this is the same, regardless of your hand. I guess the continuation... Bet is good here. You have a gut shot and a backdoor flush draw. I would like a larger bet size, something in the range of 2,000 to 2,500. If your opponent totally missed, this bet should get him to fold. Then he raises you. What does this raise mean? I would put him on something like Ace Ten, Ten Ten, Three Three, Ace Two, Ace Nine suited. He might have some middle pair that he's using to try to get you off your hand, but that would be fairly rare. I may call here one time, but I would need to hit one of the four queens to continue. and wouldn't feel very good about the queen of spades. So you, you decided to uh, call here, and, and now we go and see a turn. Um, and we get the ace of spades, which gives us a nut flush draw. But it makes the villain's hand even stronger. If we assume we are behind, we do not have the odds to make this call. A spade would give us the nut flush, but with four spades on the board, it would be hard to realize your implied odds. I would have to fold the turn. This spot is so thin that I would rather save my chips for a better opportunity. So um, my evaluation is, yeah, buddy, I think you blew it on on some of your... um, reads of this player maybe I don't know I think you are giving him too much credit uh, or not enough credit for having a real hand Um, better luck next time see ya
0: alright thanks Rob Uh, let's hear what Jason Ackerman has to say here Jason says it's a very reasonable raise in late position and first to open especially with your chip stack the continuation bet seems logical and it's a good size to see where you're at in the hand After the flop re-raise, this may have been a loose call, but I do understand your logic in doing so. Sometimes you need to float back a raise to try to win the pot later. I had my answer to this before I read the below, and I feel a fold may have been better just because at this point you are looking to protect your chip stack. And really you are hoping for running spades or a queen at this point. I know once you enter a pot you want to fight for that pot as hard as you can, but giving up is sometimes the right answer as well. When a solid player has position on you, sometimes you have to take a stand against them. If you feel he did not hit the ace, a re-raise here may have been better, but this definitely is a tougher play to make at him, and not many people will pop it again with nothing. If he calls or re-raises here, then you have to shut down, and even though the turn helps with your outs, a full to the big bet is easier to do. On the turn, you picked up more outs, so if, if you feel you are not drawing dead, a call here is reasonable, and the price to call was okay. Once the river comes, there are only about five hands that beat you. You did forget to mention pocket Aces and Ace-3 would be a reasonable call from the button in this spot as well. Uh, good point, Jason. I kind of took him off of Ace-Ace, but it's reasonable that he could have flatted me with that as well. Uh, I like the check to him to safeguard your remaining chips. His pot-sized bet does seem unusual and feels more of a bluff than a value bet. I don't think many people find a fold here. Some may even re-raise all-in, thinking they have the best hand to want to get that last twenty-five 000 to 30000 in the pot. All right, thank you, Jason. Now, uh, Derek Smith, also submitted some audio.
4: Hey, this is Derek, and these are my thoughts on the hand at hand. Okay, so there's a lot of things to consider, as always, in uh, Hold'em tournaments. That's why it's the best game ever. My very initial thought in reviewing this hand is to consider for my intention and how I'm currently faring in those pursuits. Considering for that I've already bagged chips once, but a small bag, my personal focus in day 1B would be to bag a larger amount. And that on the surface seems like a duh realization. However, if we had bagged larger in day 1A, that would color my decision making here. While I'd surely be looking early to make a large stack, if things weren't going my way, I'd be more apt to tighten up considerably and aim to simply survive and collect that $1,200 buyback. This could afford me a third day one option to go after a, a big bag, and as well as make the series immediately a profit. So, this all said, we're looking to bag bigger, so... We're about halfway through the day and have a 60k stack which should equate to about double the average at this point we're right on course towards our intention and should be looking to continue finding those times where we can take down pots with smaller stabs when we see good spots or we can call off jams from smaller stacks when we're likely to be good but most of all we just got to excuse me avoid major confrontations with anyone that has us covered with king spade jack club off in the cutoff and it folds to us this is an extremely reasonable spot to open i like the sizing of 1500 two and x. we have only three people to get through for a tidy 1400 chip scoop or a two and a half stack increase so Should the button call, you'll need to proceed accordingly from out of position. If only one of the blinds calls, you'll be in position and can likely take the pot down with the C bet when you don't hit, and you can pot control when you do. If you get multiple callers, we just need to be cognizant of not getting married to one pair of hands, trap hands. Now, should either one of the blinds three bet, assuming the size is like I don't know 2.25 to 3x you have a relatively easy call as you'll have position on them the rest of the way if the button three bets though I think this in this situation I'm you just got to know your opponent now if he's super tight I fold I move on I don't care if he's loose if he's that guy let's play Remember, if you call and hit great, you can still have a pretty solid range here versus a loose button, and because we only called, we're not capped, so we can represent things like a flop set on all those low boards, because a lot of openers will call a 3-bet with a small to mid pair to set mine versus a 3-bet, and if the flop is all big cards, we'll likely have hit or picked up a ton of outs. Now one more thing to consider is if we miss, and knowing we're sure to face a C-bet and have to fold most flops. We could donk bet with the intention of fold to do a re-raise, and if called, can I always hit something on the turn or just give up and check fold on the turn? It's a play. It's it's a consideration. As played, the button calls, and turns out he's a solid player. That he has a larger stack is a bit of a concern for us right now, and it really would lead me to play somewhat cautious. I want to hit big before I'm going to get too many chips in versus this villain, so there's 4,400 in the pot, and the flop comes ace-clubs, Ten spades. Three spades. We pick up a gut shot and backdoor to the second. Nuts. Not great, but could be worse. Don't love to see the ace though, as we don't have one, and it seems more likely now the villain does. Also, if we hit a king or a jack on the Turner River, it may rank second to a paired ace, but it also <laughs> completes some straight draws the villain can have. So all in all, I don't love what's transpired. As played. We continue with a 1500 bet and do a 4400 pot i do think continuing here is the right play or is a good play because if we check a capable villain is for sure going to seize that opportunity and raise and are we really going to call even if we're getting about four to one to draw to a gut shot or hit a pair that might complete villains draws mm, i don't think so so the continue makes sense however i'm not sure about the sizing here's my thought reasoning is because if you noted this is a savvy and capable player the continuous excuse me the continue size looks a little suspicious to me from their point of view and why i say so is if we had a small to mid pair this flop sucks and so i guess we could take a cheap stab and hope to take it down and fold to a re-raise but we're also setting up a strong player to re-raise us knowing that we can't continue if that's what we hold if we have a hand like nine nine ten ten jack jack we might be inclined to pot control and check call the flop and turn and evaluate on the river but I wouldn't want to get blown off my hand by betting third pot with a hand like this, so we would check or probably raise larger. If we have something like ace-king on this flop, we likely don't mind a re-raise, but I'd want to have the ace of spades for the flush blocker to bet that third pot looking to induce a re-raise. And if we just have a draw, it might work better to play the hand like 9-9, 10-10, jack-jack and play pot control while seeing if we get there. I'm not 100% that the best way to play this strong draw here is what. Mm. But I don't really consider our hand a strong draw anyway. I'd call it medium at best because there's a lot of ways we get there, quote unquote, and have second best of it. With all this considered and with what I... With what I'd categorize as only slightly better than air, I'd be inclined to continue with a bet of 2,500 to 2,700, or about 60% pot and fold to a re-raise. If we get called, I'd reevaluate based on what the turn brings. But as played, Villain raises to 6K or 4,500 more. I think with our continuation bet size, we have either represented a pair, smaller than 10, or something like exactly what we have, and Villain sniffed it out. At this point, I check and pat the table Nice style, or nice play style. <laughs> we lose 3k trying to win 2,900 and move to a better spot with our 57k stack. No need to build a pot against this villain out of position in a spot where we could improve slightly and be behind or improve greatly and be dead. Has played, you called. But for me, at this point, this is a fold. The turn is the ace of spades, which is slightly enticing in that it's less likely now that our villain has an ace and you now have the nut flush draw. You check which I think you have to do, and possibly against a weaker opponent who is something like King-10, Jack-10, Jack-Jack. Solid second pair type hands. You might even get to see the river for free, but against a good, experienced player, we know he's going to fire. His bet is 10k, and it's worth noting he's given the exact same odds as the floppery raise, which you called. If he wanted you to go away, we might wonder if he would size the bet larger. Just a thought. Again, I'm quick to fold here. We've lost 12.5% of our stack already, and I'm not looking to commit another 10K or 20% of our now 52.5 thousand effective stack. Not doing that on a draw, especially that might be second best. I fold, and then berate myself in my head for 10 minutes for calling that turn. LOL. I'm curious if any of the more experienced players think we could have check raised here and represented a strong ace anyways as called or excuse me as played we call and the river brings our flush we check again i'm kind of in a hmm spot i think this is the right play but i'm curious again what others think if we put out a blocker bet perhaps something like 14k we could get called by a strong ace even an experienced player might find this tempting if villain does have a boat they're gonna jam so we could get away for slightly less than what we expect villain to bet Based on his prior action, and if he's really strong and wants a call, we could expect, based on that, that we've called two 2.6 to 1 bets thus far. So a bet of something like 17k here. I don't know, it's just a consideration. Something to put in there for the decision-making mode. As played, we check, and villain sizes to nearly a full pot bet to 25,000. The bet size is intriguing. Why size more? Hmm could villain have ace x and be concerned we have him out kicked if he turned that flush with something like queen jack he can't bet now this is a really tough spot and now really really be tempted to call if you fold you still have forty-two thousand five hundred, so plenty of chips and still well way ahead of the average and really if we call the turn with the intention of getting money in on a rivered spade i guess we have to make the crawling crying call right While we can win a monster, if we do lose, we'll still have 17,500 left, just under a starting stack and about 30 big blinds. It's tough. Again, I'd probably apt to be avoiding getting this decision by folding earlier, but I guess at this point I'd lean towards a call here. And I really, really look forward to hearing presentation to the contrary from others. I think this is, slash was, a really interesting hand. Thanks a lot for sharing.
0: All right, thank you, Derek. Uh, Taylor Moss says this This is definitely in our opening range, so the only question comes down to how large do we want to make our raise. This is likely dependent on how the table has been prior, especially the blinds, and would almost always be close to your open of 1500. The pre flop call by the button is annoying. (laughs) Now the button will have position on us for the rest of the hand and has shown us that he likes his hand. I'm hoping to hit this flop or have a dry board that leads me to believe that I can see bet and take it down. So I think that this flop is better for our range than his range, but only marginally. Our opens have the Ace-Ace, Ace-King, Ace-Queen, 10-10, where he is less likely to have those. But outside of hitting a set, we are also kind of limited to having top pair, top kicker, or maybe two. If our opponent has a strong draw, a set, or two pair, they are in a great spot. After the re-raise by Derek on the flop, this is where I start to disagree. Unless our opponent has been re-raising liberally, this is my sign to get away. We are representing strength and our opponent is firing back on a board that he shouldn't be. Sure, we have a limited draw to make a good hand, a queen for a straight, but not the queen of spades because then we might even be crushed by a flush. Plus the fact that the ace is not the spade makes this even more scary for me. He could very well have ace x of spades and have top pair with the nut draw. In regard to the bet by Derek on the turn, no thank you. I wanted to give up before this aggression makes me think he has a flush or better. That was a scary turn, and they continued their aggression. Not everyone lies when playing poker, and I'm going to tell myself that he is telling the truth here and move on. The worst spots a player can get into in poker is when they should have folded earlier and keep calling on later streets. On the river, though, we get the card that we wanted, so we can't fold here now. We call, show the king of spades, and pretend we had the flush on the turn. It sounds like we are unsure what to do if our opponent acts a certain way. We need to be thinking of future actions and how we would react to them. On the flop, if we bet and get raised, how are we going to react? In my mind, we need to give it up unless it's a small raise. When our opponent 4Xs our original bet, that is my sign to get away. Good stuff, Taylor. Thank you. Uh, And here's what Steve Olson had to say. Hi, this
5: is Steve Olson uh, giving my thoughts On uh, the King Jack hand played by Steve Friendland in the hollow screen tournament. Um, I think it's really important uh, to, whatever your principles and whatever your uh, beliefs are in poker, I think it's important to stick to them. Uh, One of mine is I just don't play King Jack offsuit. Maybe small blind versus big blind, something like that. But it's a, it's a hand I, I just stay away from. You're either going to lose big or win small with it, typically. Uh, over the long run, it's just it's not a winner, I don't think. Um, anyway, that said, uh, if it is folded to me in the cutoff and it's suited, I'm going to put in a 2.5 rays, X-Rays. In this situation, it's off suit. Anyway, Steve does, uh, raises 2.5x. He's called by Derek Murphy on the button. Uh, Derek, as we sh- uh, know, is a very solid player. I'd also be interested to know uh, in that situation who the, who the blinds were, what their stacks were, especially the big blind. Uh, you know, there's a chance you're going to be playing that hand against two people. Um, anyway, Derek calls, for heads up. The flop comes ace-10-3 with two spades. Uh, it's a whip for Steve with the exception of a gutter ball for Broadway and a backdoor flush. Uh, he continuation bets uh, 1500 uh, into a pot of 4400 You know, I, I, I've always felt that when people continuation bet with the exact same bet that they bet pre-flop, uh, you know, there's the one of two things are going on. Either a they completely crushed that flop and they don't want to get rid of you, or b far more likely that they missed it. Uh, which is what happened here. Derek re-raises with uh, like a six thousand dollar bet, which is quite hefty. Um, I think that Derek is raising here for one of two reasons. A he either believes that his opponent missed, which happened. Or, uh, B, because Derek crushed it, which also happened. Um, I don't think he's doing that for any other reason. Um, It's highly likely here that Derek has an ace. Um, In this case, obviously, he he flopped top two. Uh, You don't have any way of knowing that. Um, I... If I was in the hand, I would probably let him have it at this point. Um, You know, you're hoping for a queen. You have no idea uh, how many of them were folded pre flop. You know, best case scenario, there's four left in the deck. Um, But the flop, but uh, Derek's race is called, so we, we go to the turn, which brings the ace of spades. Uh, that certainly brings in uh the flush draw to, into play with the king jack um it pair, it also pairs the board once again, going back to um uh, you know some of my you know kind of core beliefs and and uh, you know we 're always trying to make decisions that are not that that are not only good you know in this you know in the in the moment, but we also want to make good decisions that are gonna make us money or or get or gain us chips over the long run and i've and i I just believe that when you're playing hands and the board is paired and you are not a part of that pair in the long run it's gonna cost you way more chips than you're gonna make um at least for me um, that said. You know, the check is the right play. Uh, You're not going to bet into that. Um, Derek bets, you know, and uh, it's it's a good bet. It's not an outrageous bet because, you know, you don't know it, but Derek's sitting on the nuts, so he certainly doesn't want to lose you. Anyway, the bet's called. Uh, once again, if I was in the hand, this is for certainly a fold spot for me. Uh, but anyway, the bet's called. Uh, the turn brings uh, the, the fourth spade to the board, which certainly brings in the flush for the king jack. Um, once again, the check is the correct play. If, you know, If you're still in the hand, you've got to play pot control here. Um, Some people might throw out a, a blocking bet. Um, may, and they might even think they're ahead and, and think it's a value bet. Um, I, I think pot control is probably the best way to go and uh, put, it, put it in a check is what, what Steve did. Derek now does something interesting. He fires a big bet. My guess is Derek figures you got home. Or the king jack got home on that on that four spade and will certainly call. Um, it, you know, you know, you certainly could think, well, maybe he's putting in this huge bet because he because somehow he missed this board and um, he's just trying to trying to get his opponent to go away. I don't think that would be happening here. I, I just can't imagine uh, a player like you know that that's just that's gonna. Bluff off a huge chunk of his stack throughout this hand and not have it. That said, I do believe if you're still there, which we are, you have to call. Um, and just tell, you know, you tell Derek Nice Hand and you give him your chips. Um, uh, few, you know, I, I just do think, you know, there's some mistakes made in this hand um it's not one i would have played um but it got played in and, and you know live and learn um and uh, that's my thoughts on the king jack hand have a great day everybody bye bye.
0: all right good stuff steve thank you uh let's hear what mike ingelhop had to say he sent me this Uh pre-flop i think the raise is fine i think 100 big blinds deep i would even open king 10 here so it's not the bottom of our opening range Right now, I'm wondering what kind of calling range do you put this Derek guy on? Would he re-raise small suited aces, like ace-2 through ace-5 suited? Would he bluff-raise small pairs or suited connectors? Because you said he's a good player, I'm guessing he would sometimes balance his strong starting hands. So at this point, I would put him on suited aces, ace-6 through ace-jack, suited kings, king-queen to king-10, ace-jack offsuit, ace-10 offsuit, king-queen offsuit, maybe king-jack, our exact hand, and maybe king-10... Queen-Jack and Jack-10 suited, um, then pairs, 5-6s, through sixes, and suited connectors, 5-6 through 10-9. Okay, on the flop, I think this flop is pretty 50-50. His suited aces have you beat, any Broadway draws aren't folding, any 10 probably isn't folding to one bet, but you can fold out the pairs, 5-9s through nines most likely, and any suited connector missed. I would probably bet it, thinking I will bet again if the turn is a blank, uh, such as an 8 or lower. When we get re-raised here, I think it's a close decision. Because we are deep, I probably call two. Do you think he re-raises flush draws here? I think that's so- a super important thing to know. Okay, on the turn, I think checking is fine. I do think there could be a cause for putting in a 10,000 raise yourself here first, or 10,000 bet. Uh, one thing that is important is that you have the better flushes here. All of his suited aces just disappear because he can't have the ace of spades, and you have the king of spades. So I kind of like repping the flush here. I like this because if he decides to re-raise you again, then he pretty much has to have a full house and you walk away from the hand. If you check and call a raise here, I'm too worried that we lose a huge pot on the river when we have a flush or a straight we can't get away from. Maybe that's just me being scared. When he bets three quarters pot or so here, I'm worried. Why is he betting so much when he can't have the best flushes? The only ones he can't have are weak suited connector ones. Queen Jack is the best one he could have. Does he re-raise the flop with that flush draw? Okay, on the river, uh, they always have it, don't they? <laughs> uh, it does seem that way sometimes. Uh, you, could, you said he could be trying to get you off an ace with kings, queens, or jacks, but I think he re-raises pre-flop with all of those because you are 100 big blinds deep and he has position. If you think he can have worse flushes, I think it's an easy call. If you think he just calls with a suited connector flush on the flop, I think it has to be a fold because his range is only full houses if the suited connectors aren't in there. Uh, so 5 6 30 it's a queen-jack suited. So he's looking at combos of ace-10, uh, there's six of those, there's three combos of 10-10, there's three combos of three-3's, so he has 12 value combos. And if you look at the suited connectors, um, he's got four of those. Uh, so then maybe this has to be a fold. There really aren't that many flushes there, even if he has the suited connectors, because 10-9 and Jack-9 are removed also. He says, geez, folding the nut flush here feels super nitty. Okay, that's a good analysis, uh, Mike. I appreciate you taking all that time. Good stuff. Uh, Now I want to hear from uh, the audio submitted by Mr. John Somsky.
6: Opening King Jack offsuit in late position is perfectly fine, especially with a tight image. This is particularly true because knowing you, you are unlikely to lose a lot of chips when you're dominated. I like the continuation bet on the flop because you are continuing your story and you could still hit your miracle gut shot to win a big pot. When he re-raises though, my first inclination would be to fold. The gut shot doesn't hit often and there's no shame in folding. Because you are the second biggest stack at the table, it is less likely Derek is making a move against you. He is more likely to target someone with 20 to 30k in chips as opposed to someone with 60k in chips. Also, you are out of position for the rest of the hand, which will make it harder for you to get value and harder for you to control the pot. The ace on turn is an interesting card. While it decreases the likelihood he holds an ace, the flush outs it gives you aren't exactly clean outs. He could have you crushed right now with the full house, or the spade giving you the flush flush could make his full house if he was playing some type of ace rag or other ace. My gut feel is that your estimate of 11 outs may be a little bit generous, although you were playing with him at the table so i'd have to defer to your judgment the river is about the best card you could hope for his bet size though is extremely polarizing unless he is unaware unless he is aware that you are a call down wizard it increases the chances in my mind that he has air that's a plus for calling you currently have about 42k in your stack if i did the math right If you call and lose, you'll have 17k. If you call and win, you'll have about 93k. 17k is less than 30 big blinds and means you have a lot less options and it will make it harder to run up your stack. I really don't like having to go back down to a 17k stack. 42k is 70 big blinds and it's a comfortable stack. You could definitely do some things with that. 93K is a monster stack of 155 big blinds, and that's really enticing to make a call there because it is such a huge stack. But the extra size doesn't get, just gives you room to lose some, it doesn't really increase your options because no one else will have a stack as large as that. In the end, it's really hard to fold after one of the best possible cards for you comes on the river. I think if I had gotten to that point, I probably would have called and probably would have hated the call as I made it. Just, it's a bad situation to be in. I think the uh, fold to the raise on the flop is the best play. It avoids being put into these difficult situations later. Of course, that could be a little bit of Monday morning quarterbacking as well. All right, thank you, John.
0: Uh, next up, we're going to hear from Matt Hamilton, who is a terrific young player. His response is pretty long, but I thought it was really good, so I decided to include the entire thing. Uh, after Matt, then we will hear from, uh, from Fox and Jonathan Little.
7: This is Matt Hamilton, and this is uh, my input for the King Jack hand for rec poker. First thing I'll say is the open with King Jack, I think is um, very standard. Uh, I would say it's a big mistake to fold King Jack offsuit in the in the cutoff, so I think that's totally fine. Uh, I think the open to 1500 is totally fine. Um, pretty standard 2.5x. Um, I think when you get called by the button, you should start putting him um, on what you think his calling range uh, is, and you say you mentioned he's a pretty solid player, so. Um, always keep that in the back of your mind. Um, but basically, from here, we just want to see a flop and go from there. Um, when the blinds fold um, and we get that flop, Ace of Clubs, Ten of Spades, Three of Spades, I think uh, I would prefer I would prefer a check over a bet. Um, I don't think there's much. Uh, there's really really not much to be gained betting out here. Um, I think you can work yourself into some uh, troublesome scenarios like like this scenario um, and by checking um, really so what it comes down to for me is is um, when you're when you when you choose to bet this hand there's really um, there's really not much upside to it in my opinion so you're folding out you know um, worse high card hands um, Maybe you're folding out fours through uh, fours through uh, nines, um, but even, even those types of hands probably aren't going to fold right away on, on the flop. Um, I, I really don't think there's, there's a hand that, that King Jack is, is beating. Um, well, let me rephrase that. I don't think there's many hands um, that, that beat King Jack that are going to fold. On the flop. In fact, I don't think there's a single hand that would fold to a single bet um, by King Jack. So, um, that being said, um, I think a check makes a lot more sense. Now, now you might say, "Okay, well I'm betting." Um, um, there's this idea of of betting to see where I'm at. The problem with that type of thought is, is um, you know if you're behind in a situation like this and he decides to raise you um, all of a sudden you're just getting yourself in a really expensive pot and you opted into it by leading out on the flop um, and, and checking allows you to um, check call some hands um, you know King Jack I think is a great hand to check call at least one street because um, you're drawing to the nuts um, but um anyway so my thoughts on this flop are are uh I prefer a check call um and I, I I think leading on the flop leading on the flop is a, is a pretty uh um a pretty poor play in my opinion I just don't see don't see the upside to it compared to the negatives um <clears throat> so let's take the let's take the re-raise here on this flop so um, or the raise to six thousand. I think, um, yeah. Once he decides to raise you, I see. Um, yeah, I think we just muck our hand here uh, pretty quickly. So I see what you're thinking here. You know, you're you're calculating your odds to to get the draw into the nuts. You you're also thinking you have this backdoor backdoor nut or backdoor flush draw, um, and you're also thinking. Let's see um that he might have a hand like two spades king jack queen jack the problem with this thinking um i think there's very little chance that you're that you're ahead here with king jack um simply because you block a lot of potential hands that that he could have here as a bluff so um you know king of having the king of spades is really bad for you here because um you block any any um any combination of hands he would have that include the king of spades, so king queen of spades, um, king jack of spades, uh, king nine of spades, um, you know various hands um, that would ch- that might choose to to bluff raise this this flop. Now now I think it's most likely that us a, a spade draw, um, like if he had a flush draw, I think he's much more likely to call your lead out on the flop. Than he has to raise here so so again really I don't see many hands he has here as a bluff um, maybe a hand like um ace uh yeah, no I mean yeah really hands is a bluff I, yeah I just I just don't really see it um again that king of spades hand uh king of spades is really is really bad um, for you to have uh, in terms of just thinking what kind of bluff hands he has because let's say um you know let's say you don't have the king of spades then the, all those hands I mentioned he can have his bluffs and and a call um, makes a little bit more sense because um, uh, obviously it makes no sense to be going for a backdoor flush draw here um, it's not even the backdoor not flush draw so um, calculating that into into you know uh, giving you more weight to call um, is, is very incorrect it should give you much more weight to, to fold because um, all of a sudden he can no longer have those hands like like King Queen of Spades and King Jack of Spades and those um, you know the reason I'm not mentioning the Ace of Spades um, is because you know with the Ace of Clubs hitting the flop um, I think well obviously yeah he's not bluffing with the Ace of Cl- Ace of Spades, right? Because he already has top pair with that. So, so really, yeah. The only a lot of the bluffs that he has there include the King of Spades, in my mind. Um, so the fact that you have the King of Spades um, makes it much more likely that he has a hand uh, that is that is just crushing you, and you should just be folding to that re-raise or to the raise to six thousand. Um, so all this, you know, calculating the odds. I think just just uh, thinking. Instead of looking at the pot and looking at you know how much, how much it'll cost you and stuff, I I, I prefer, I would prefer if you if you thought more of you know the specific hands he has because I think if you think about it, from that perspective a little bit more and just realize that you know, his spades draws his spade draws are often going to include the king of spades. You know he can have a hand like um, queen jack of spades, um, but you know you have a jack. Um, he can have queen jack of spades he can have uh i mean that's you know e- e- even with those types of hands i i just i just feel like uh, him calling the flop is much more likely i just don't i just don't see raising uh when you're in position like that in in his position um yeah i i just think calling's much more likely um yeah i, I see your thoughts here but I, I really just prefer um to to fold to this to this raise. So once the turn hits, a ace of spades all of a sudden um you know that that that's bringing in your your uh, back flush draw that that would now be the the nut flush if you hit it. The problem is is um when when this turn hits, you can be drawing dead at this point. Um you can be absolutely drawing drawing dead. Um if you think about the hands that raise you on the flop if we go back to the flop of ace 10-3 you know he could have um, you know ace 10 is definitely very reasonable for him to have ace 3 suited um, pocket 3's um, pocket 10's maybe Um, really there's not a whole lot of hands um, that he's raising you with on the flop I don't think he's raising with single aces I don't think he's raising with uh, single 10s, and I don't think there's many, many other combinations of hands he has as bluffs. So, really, I think ace-10, ace-3, pocket 3s, pocket 10s probably 3-bet preflop, but maybe pocket 10s. Yeah, I think those are definitely in his wheelhouse, and the ace on the turn is very concerning. Um, So, you do pick up the nut flush draw, You check, um, and he fires 10K into 16,400. Definitely have to fold this turn again, I'm going to say, because simply... So you're continuing on the flop thinking he could have a bluff. Well, on the turn, think think about his line here. He calls a raise pre-flop. He raises the flop. He continues the turn. He's investing into a big pot, um, and you both have substantial stacks, so um, really, does he have many bluffs at this point on the turn? Um, I really don't think so. And if we think about the hands that that raise us on the flop, going back to that, um, like I said, Ace Ten, Ace Three, Pocket Threes, all pretty pretty in his wheelhouse. We can be drawing dead on this turn, so all of a sudden, um, you know, we got to call a turn bet. We could be drawing dead against, and if we hit hit our flush um we still not sure we're ahead and and we gotta um you know we gotta check check the river as well so you know i just really dislike our position on this turn um i think i think a turn again a a turn on the fold uh, a turn on the fold, uh, a fold on the turn i think is um is the best play here um but you know, I, I, honestly, this hand—it just it just seems like we're just digging, digging ourselves into a, into a pretty big hole um, after after our decision to to lead out on the flop. Um, so so yeah. Anyway, just just thinking about the hands that we block, thinking about the hands that he has, um, and the fact that we're not comfortable, even if we do hit our flush. Uh, I think check. Check folding on the on the turn makes sense because we really we got to start giving him some credit now. Um, you said you said he has a you mentioned uh, he could have Jack Jack or Queen Queen. Um, really, I I don't think that's well. I'm not gonna say it's not possible, uh, but I really don't think it's uh, at all likely. So if you think about. Um, you know, you can have jack-jack, queen-queen, those hands probably through that pre, but even, let's say, he just calls pre-flop, um, he's never raising the flop with with um, queens or jacks on an ace-10-3 board. That's just going to call every time. Um, unless he's weirdly turning his hand into, an, into a bluff, which makes no sense uh, because of his showdown value on the flop. Um, so... Yeah, i th- I think and, and then you think okay there's not many single aces he has on the flop if you have ace, qu- ace king ace queen uh can likely three bet pre flop so we're really narrowing his 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 hand here on the on the turn um if you think he's he's not calling with many sing- or he's not raising big on the flop with many single aces like let's say he has a hand like you know, Ace-9 suited, Ace-8 suited, Ace-5 suited, you know, different suited Aces, um, that decide to call our pre-flop, uh, our pre-flop raise, are any of those hands gonna be, gonna be raising the flop? I really don't think so. Um, because, you know, yeah, I I mean, they're just just gonna call, right? So the only hands that might raise the flop are a hand like Ace-King and Ace-Queen, and even those hands, um, there's a pretty good chance they three bet, so so his his likelihood of having those hands aren't that high in in my opinion. Um, you know, you mentioned he's a solid player, so a lot of solid players um, on the button are gonna are gonna three bet that hand those hands pre flop. Um, so we are really, I mean, I mean, we're really stretching to to give him a hand that we, that we can beat uh, if if we river our flush um, by the turn here. So. Um. Yeah, yeah. So you do mention some of his range is drawing dead. I would argue that that um that is a big percentage of his range at this point. Ace ten, ace three, ten ten. You don't mention ace three, but I think ace three suited is definitely possible in the scenario. Ace 10, ten, ten ten. Ace three, three three. Um, are 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 his range of hands that have you drawing dead, and I think that's. Much more likely for him to have one of those hands than a hand that that um, Than any other hand honestly um, If I'm being completely honest with you, so So yeah, I think we just chuck it on the turn um, Cut our losses, you know, it's been a pretty pretty miserable pot for us, but you know um, If we fold the turn we haven't we haven't invested all too much yet so um Yeah, I think, yeah, you're still looking at your implied odds here. Um, I I think looking at your implied odds here is, is, um, pretty like what you really should, if you want to look at odds, implied odds, look at your reverse implied odds of, you know, if you hit your flush and he has a full house, right? Um, I think if you if it runs out four spades and and your king of spade and, and your flush is good how much are you going to really get out of him you know how are you going to play the river let's say he you hit the four spade on the river you hit your nut flush um and he has a hand like ace queen uh that now has three of a kind aces um which which is next to meaningless with four spades on the board right so you hit you hit your flush on the river what are you going to do are you going to check again are you going to lead out now well if you lead out now on the river on a four spade board it's pretty obvious that you have um something you know a value at least enough flush right so are you going to get value from hands that that um that you're beating on the river when you lead out uh, I don't think so. I think three aces are going to fold the river when the four spade hits. So um, do you really have much implied odds? I, I really don't think so. You have a lot of reverse implied odds, um, but I don't think you have much implied odds. So um, I think it's worth going back to that, thinking about that a little bit more. Um, and sorry, I, I don't mean to sound too critical or anything. I'm just throwing out my thoughts here. Um so yeah, the four spades on the river, completing your nut flush again. Um, yeah, I I like the check on the river. I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, and and again, you know the problem here. Um, the problem here is you're out of position and and you don't have the nuts and and you just hit the runout that you wanted. You know this is like your dream runout. Other than well, it's not your dream runout. Of course, you want the. Uh, you want the the gutter ball straight, but you know this is a good second option. The problem is you're not going to get any value because you're you kind you're forced to check uh because you know he can have a full house um and, and then you're going to be forced to to make a a tough decision um, and uh you know if he had three of a kind of aces he he can just check back now and he uh you know you you win but but you know when you talk about implied odds on the turn there, there's no implied odds there because you're just you know check goes check check on the river and you win with a flush um, But but more problematically you check on the river he bets big and you have a tough decision to make which is exactly the situation Now one thought here on the river um, I say I like to check and I do uh, but I also like a a bet on the river and I'm, I'm gonna tell you why so when when you decide to check here on the river, he bets twenty five thousand into twenty six four hundred. So that's about a pot size bet. Um and you have to decide at this point, you know, is there somehow he's bluffing? Um, which by the way I don't think he is. I think there's very it's really hard for you to find a hand that, that he's bluffing with here. Let me see what you what you put here. Um, as I don't think you're just right, because I'm just an ace. Um uh, he would bet hands that didn't get there. I thought he could scare me off. Of <laughs> yeah, yeah, bet hands that didn't get there. Uh, but problem is, what, what, what are those hands? Like, I don't think you can think of many hands that he has as a bluff here on, on this river. Um, there's just, there's just really not, not a lot. Um, and, and, okay, so let me go back here. Um. I like a bet on the river because um, you can bet a size like like a third, a fourth of the pot, so anywhere between like seven to nine thousand um, as sort of a blocker bet. Um, and what this will do is, unless he's a complete maniac and he just decides he's just gonna you know bluff with whatever. Um, you lead out on this river. Um, if he's bluffing, pretty good chance. He just cuts his losses, mucks his hand, and you win the pot. If he has a full house, he's pretty likely going to raise you and might even just call if he has a hand like 3-3 or um, even a hand like ten ten. Um, You know, because you could have a better full house and he'll get in a dicey spot. Um, if he if he raises you so the, that type of blocker bet with with your nut flush on the river I think makes a lot of sense because when he raises you big uh You can just be fairly confident that that he just has you crushed and you get away with 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 uh, bet folding uh, 7 to 9,000 chips instead of forcing yourself to check decide t- You know to call or not 20 25 K so um, if you fall if you followed me there, you know, you save, what is it, eighteen thousand chips if you bet, um, if you bet seven thousand um, and and then fold to a raise, um, a, as opposed to checking and him betting twenty five thousand. So uh, that's something to consider. Now keep in mind that you're going to have to be disciplined when he raises you on the river and you go, and you only, only bet seven thousand. And you also have to work in some some hands here that that are uh you know that are that are just the nuts. So you're not just uh you know, what I mean is, you know, you're gonna have to work in bedding here with with a hand like ace ten or um just so you're not um um just so your opponent can't automatically assume you have some kind of medium strength hand that that doesn't wanna see a big raise. But anyway, Um, All that being said, I think check on the river is good, but also putting out some sort of a a smallish bet uh, as some sort of a blocker bet makes some sense, too. Um, Yeah. All in all, um, yeah. Yeah, I I think you kind of worked it out here by the end, just saying, you know, all this kind of puts you in a really tough spot at the end here. Um, And again, I'm going to go all the way back to to the the flop, I think you lead out with a check. You know, you you're your big stack out of position against the big stack. So um let's let's be conservative. Out of position, let's let's check um, the flop and and when he bets, we can call one bet probably on the flop and and check fold turns if we don't get there and if he doesn't, you know, you know, we might get lush He might double barrel, but but that's a you know, that's fine. You know, what are we gonna do? We can't win every pot. So, anyway, um, yeah, those are my thoughts, and uh, hope hope it made some sense.
0: All right, Matt, thanks so much for uh, for fantastic information. Uh, that was really good. Uh, we're gonna take a quick break here from our sponsor. We'll come back and hear from uh, Fox and from Jonathan Little. Clearly, uh, the recreational players in general thought I botched the hand, and uh, and I think I did as well, but that's part of the transparency, that's part of the learning process, so hopefully you're not just hearing how bad I played the hand, but you're also hearing some of the principles behind some of the actions that these players would take, and I think you're going to enjoy what the experts had to say as well, so let's take a quick break, and we'll be right back. Running Aces Casino and Racetrack has the best poker room in Minnesota. Featuring 24-7 promos on all cash poker games, including earning $2 per hour in comps, plus the most player-friendly tourney structures. Visit RunAces.com for daily promotions and the tournament calendar. Running Aces Casino and Racetrack, the official sponsor of Rec Poker.
6: Fox here
8: from Next Level Poker. Um, I think this is one of the easier questions, actually, that's been on the podcast. First of all, the raise is clearly correct. You can't fold King-Jack in the cutoff in these situations. There's too much money to be made. There's only one player who can call who can have position on you. You're going to steal the blinds much too often and you have for the cutoff. A semi-real hand. The um, You mentioned that you thought his range... Um, misses that flop a lot. That This is better for your open range than his button call range. And that's probably true. And there's too much money in the pot not to bet into it. Um, Also, your raise size pre-flop was fine. Everything about it pre-flop was fine. You could, you know, people might argue 1,300 or 1,600, but a raise to 1,500 is a very standard play there. On the flop, when you think his range... Misses a lot of that. I, I probably agree. I tend to make my continuation bet slightly bigger than that on this kind of board. On a Ace-Ace-5 rainbow board, I might make that smaller continuation bet. It looks very scary and people don't want to mess around. But on this board, I might make a little bigger continuation bet. Maybe instead of 1,500, I might make it 2,000 or 2,100 or something. Um, And I'm interested in what you think his calling range on the button might be. His small pairs have missed. Some small suited connectors have missed. But are we sure he's going to call with those? Is not he more likely to call with uh, hands that have aces and Broadway cards in them? I don't know. I just think he may not call with the suited connectors and things like that. And also, I think he's likely to 3-bet with some of those hands. You know, I know that if the cutoff raises and I have a pair of fours, I'm more likely to three bet than call in most situations. Whereas if I have king-queen or ace-jack, I may not three bet. I may want to see a flop. So it depends on the player. Calling the re-raise on the flop is where this hand goes sideways. This is a real mistake. He knows that you often have an ace in your range, and it's possible that he's bluffing, but very unlikely. What What's his bluffing range here? Um, you have to think if he's bluffing here that, he would, that he's going to raise every hand. Because otherwise he doesn't have much of a bluffing range that makes sense. Maybe he's looking for a bluffing range that has outs, so he would go with king, queen, queen, jack, or king, jack. But you have some of those outs in your hand, and it doesn't really make sense. So I think if you think he's bluffing here, then you think he's going to raise the flop with every with all of his range and that his range is going to be fairly wide and that he doesn't care about the flop texture. And those are that's a lot of assumption. And then if you're wrong, what do you, what does he have that you can beat? Queen Jack is the only hand you can beat here unless he does happen to have one of those small suited connectors that we said maybe he will or will not call with. It's hard to say. You know, if he has a pair, you're actually behind. Um, you know, I I just don't see calling this raise here. And if you're behind, you're going to lose much bigger pots than you win when you're ahead. Because if you hit a pair and he's behind, he's not putting any more money in. The implied odds are significantly negative in this hand. If he's got a pair of fives, he's done putting money in this pot. You're not going to win a big pot from him. If he instead has an ace and you catch a king, are you going to put more money in? Because then you might let him bluff you off your hand when you don't, you know, when you miss, and it's it's a whole mess. You put yourself in a really tough spot out of position. If you're hoping to, to catch a pair, then are you going to pay him off if he has an ace and all those, all those problems? So the pot becomes much bigger when you lose it than when you win it, and you're also not going to win it very often. Out of position, facing a raise from a good player that's probably ahead is fold. Fold, 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 fold. This is even more important in a buyback event where you have to protect your stack now that you've gotten a stack through already and you have a few chips. You're very likely to get a stack through now that you've built up the stack you have. Taking big risks doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Knowing whether your opponent had already advanced might help too. If he's already gotten a stack through, or if he's the kind of player who understands how important it is to get multiple stacks through in these events, then he's less likely to be bluffing here. On the turn, uh, i really hate for you to get yourself in this spot, and this kind of points out why you have to fold to the flop raise. But once you're here, you could be drawing dead. You could go broke if you hit your hand, um, but most likely you have a legit flush draw. But you're paying way too much for it. Um, You're in another spot where either uh, you're going to hit your hand and he's not going to pay you off because he doesn't really have anything, or he has a real hand and you should have folded on the flop. And if you hit your hand, you might not win. So if you hit your spade, you're going to lose much bigger pots than you win. But you could win uh, fairly often. So you're you know four to one dog. yeah. I don't know. I don't really see how you're going to make a whole lot more money if you hit your hand. And I don't know if you're going to put more money in if you hit your king or jack. I don't know. When you make your flush on the river, um, I probably like a bet fold on the river, but it's a tough spot without knowing the exact opponent. Um And, and, you know, if it's the kind of guy who's immediately going to fold unless he can beat your flush, then you check to him. If you really think he might be bluffing, which I still don't believe, there's that much chance that he's bluffing given the way the hand is played out by the time you reach the river. But if you think he's bluffing, then it's a good check. But piling that many chips into a pot with nothing over three streets, I mean, he's, you know, the pot was 4,400 on the flop and now he's going to have gotten, you know, 40,000 into it. It just doesn't make a lot of sense. A good player doesn't pile forty thousand into a pot to try to win a five K pot. It's it's unlikely that he's bluffing here. He has almost no bluffing range at all. Um, A good player doesn't typically do that on this board after being called. You know, you have to assume that he has literally nothing for him to bluff here. Because if he has any showdown value, he's gonna he's gonna just check it down. Because you've called him twice. He assumes you're probably going to call, so a bluff here just seems super, super unlikely. He, But the problem is he, he may not be bluffing, and you may be able to win against um, some of the hands that he's got. And that's why I think the check here is usually good, because of the paired board and the fact that the pair is an ace. Um, you know, you could bet fold because you know he's going to call with an ace, but if you think he might fold because the flush came in, then you could check. I think he's going to call even with the flush coming in because it's a runner-runner flush. So, bet folding might be better. Um, if you bet and he raises, you just could never win. He's not raising a flush. Um, he's not raising trips No way not on this board and the way the hand plays out. He's not raising unless he has a full house. So you could bet fold here very confidently. Um, When you check to him, his big bet is either a bluff or a monster. Like this, when he bets this big, he's not betting like queen ten this big. He's not betting ace five this big. If he has an ace and it's not an ace bigger than a ten, I don't think that he bets this big. I think that he's worried he won't be called unless he is beaten. You know? Put yourself in your opponent's shoes and don't get yourself in this spot. But mostly you're just really discounting him having a hand here over and over again. I think that's a big problem. If you convince yourself that he's bluffing and then you continue to convince yourself that he's bluffing even though he's betting like he has it all the way, you're gonna end up paying off a lot of the nuts, an awful lot. You know, even if it's a person who would bluff, that doesn't mean they are bluffing. And in this case, I, you know, it cost you a lot of chips to really calling the bet on the flop when you had nothing. Got you into the, a, a big mess. Fold the flop when he raises. Did I mention? I think that you should fold to the flop raise. If I didn't mention that yet, I should because I think you should fold to the raise on the flop. People all like. Are you Little? Because your name says
9: you're Little. I say, no, I'm not Little. Hello, this is Jonathan Little of PokerCoaching.com. And today we have a pretty fun hand to go over from the $280 buy-in tournament. So we are not really anywhere near the money. So surviving is not a huge concern. And that's something you always do want to you ask yourself when you are playing a tournament. So we're in the cutoff. It folds to you. And we have a solid image which is you know relevant and you decide to raise to 1500 out of your 60,000 effective stack with king jack offsuit which seems perfectly fine um i may even make it a little bit bigger if everyone is playing maybe 40,000 or deeper but 1500 is perfectly fine so you get called by the button who's a solid player who doesn't get out of line but it's definitely capable of floating and applying pressure, which is kind of interesting that you would say that because isn't floating and applying pressure getting out of line? Or does that mean that they are floating in intelligent spots and only raising with good hands? I don't know. And that's something you definitely want to try to pin down because if someone's floating with all sorts of garbage and raising with all sorts of garbage, well, that's very different than a very solid player, right? Okay, so the blinds fold your heads up with your opponent named Derek. Flop comes ace, ten, three, two spades, and you have the king of spades. So you think this is better for your opening range than his button range, and you decide to continuation bet 1,500. I imagine this is probably somewhat neutral in terms of ranges. I mean, you may have some small range advantage here, but not a ton, and that's just because people typically call pre-flop raises with stuff like ace-jack, ace-ten, ace-nine, Ace you know, all the aces. Also stuff like various tens, like king-ten, queen-ten, jack-ten, ten-nine. And obviously he could have lots of spades. So there's no real reason to say that he doesn't have lots of pretty decent hands. Obviously you have more pocket aces and pocket tens than he does, but that's a pretty tiny portion of a standard cutoff opening range to begin with. So you certainly have... Uh, polarization advantage. You know, you probably have more ace tens and aces and tens than he does. So you have more nut hands. But at the same time, he should have decently strong hands. So this is a spot where you can either bet or check. I don't think it really matters which one you do too much. Um, if you're going to bet, you probably want to bet on the smaller side. But I would typically check this hand because you can very easily check call the flop. And then if it turns a spade, you can certainly continue on those cards. And it's nice to have some check calling hands in your range. So you also mentioned that your opponent likes to float and likes to raise, right? And if your opponent likes to float, well, you don't really want them floating unless you plan on double or triple barreling. And you certainly don't want them to raise. So you bet 1,500, which is fine. Then your opponent raises you. He does not re-raise because you did not raise, right? You just bet. So your opponent raises you to 6,000. And at this point, you have to put in 4,500 to win 11,900. So I always try to ask myself in this scenario what a reasonable raising range looks like. Well, it's probably going to be good flush draws, sets, and two pair. Maybe hands like ace, queen, ace, jack that are raising for protection. Or maybe he's raising stuff like four, three of diamonds that he decided to play in a somewhat odd manner. It's, It's tough to say what's going on, right? Because we don't really know. That said, I don't think King-Jack is going to be in that great of shape. The only reason you could possibly justify calling here is you think your opponent's raising with all sorts of garbage, and also you think that he's going to play really straightforwardly on the turn. Um, Alternatively, you could call and then check-raise him on the turn, but that's pretty dicey. Really, what it amounts to is you're just going to have a hard time realizing your equity in this hand. So I would probably just fold, especially given he made it 6,000 over your 1,500 raise. If he made it 4,500 or 3,800, I would definitely stick around. But 6,000 is quite big, and I generally have found that whenever players raise larger in spots like this, they're usually trying to protect something. And if they're trying to protect something, that typically means that your king and your jack are not too good. So... I would probably just fold. So, turns the Ace of Spades, which is good. I mean, it's it's a good card for you because now he has fewer Aces, right? Which makes it more likely that he had a draw. However, if you think about the draws that were available, they're going to be flush draws. Obviously, you have the King of Spades, which blocks some of those, but he could very easily have the Queen High, Jack High, 9 High, 8 High, etc., so this may look like a pretty good card, but I don't think it's that great. Also, if he was raising a hand like King Jack on the flop or King Ten on the flop, this does not really help you too much, because I mean we're still drawn to a flush draw and a gut shop and a, a king. So um you check, which I think is fine. You may want to consider leading here, because you certainly have lots of aces in your range, but really he should have lots of spade draw. So leading doesn't make a ton of sense. Um so you check. He bets ten thousand into the sixteen thousand four hundred pot, and you know your thoughts here are that you're probably beat. Well, I mean, I would say that you're virtually always beat, right? We have king high. The only thing you realistically beat here are queen. It's a queen jack that decided to bluff the flop that does not have spades, or what five four, which probably isn't in his pre flop range, given you said he's somewhat solid. So this is a pretty bad spot for you so i would i would just fold The only i mean the, the, you can't justify calling here at all really just because you're not getting great pot odds you could just be beat right if your opponent has ace 10 or pocket 10s or pocket threes you're just drawing dead so i think this is a pretty easy spot to fold even though you turn the flush draw when your opponent just keeps betting you got to get out of the way all right so you decided to call though and, and the problem with calling is you always have to ask, like, what's going to happen on the on the next street? If the river's a spade and your opponent doesn't have a spade, he's just going to go check, check, and you're going to win, right? You're going to win a small pot, so you're not really getting your implied odds. And if you check any bets, well, would he really bet a queen high flush on a paired board with four spades out there? Probably not. So when he bets, you're actually, you're, you're in a spot where you have a bluff catcher, and you really just don't want to have bluff catchers for big pots from out of position. So anyway, river comes what you want, giving you the four spades. You say completing your nut flush. I'm always a little bit uh, cautious whenever people say they have the nut flush when the board's paired, because you have the best possible flush, but that's nowhere near the best possible hand. It's important to realize that. So here you just have a king high flush in my mind, a king-high four-card flush, which is way worse than a regular king-high flush because when four cards are out there, your opponents can see that someone could have a flush. All right, so you say you decided to check again both for pot control and to induce if he was betting a flush or bluffing. Well, he's definitely not going to keep betting with a flush because, like I just said, if the board's paired and you could just easily have the king. And if he's bluffing, I mean, (laughs) you told me the guy was solid, and this would be a pretty optimistic bluff given you could very easily have an ace, that made a full house, and you could also very easily have the king of spades. So anyway, you check, he bets 25,000 into 26,400. Seems like a big bet. It is a big bet. So now you think uh, he, it makes him more polarized, and it does. It certainly does make him p- more polarized. So does he have a full house or does he not? That's that's basically the question, and it's, it's tough to know. The problem here is that this hand is one of the best hands in your range, given I doubt you're playing... Full houses this passively on the previous streets, so I think you have a pretty easy call. The unfortunate thing here is though is that you're losing to basically everything besides a bluff, and you told me this player is somewhat solid, and I mean, is the guy really bluffing you? I probably not. So, uh you you eventually called, and I don't mind the call. I mean, you say here you thought thought it's probably 50-50 that he's bluffing you, and You have to be very careful with thoughts like, oh, it's about 50-50, because you want to try to count the combinations of bluffs to value bets, right? So how many value bet combinations are there? Well, we have maybe pocket aces, probably not. Maybe pocket tens, probably not. So we're just going to completely discount those. Then we have pocket threes. There are three combinations of that. We have ace 10. So the way you figure out how many combinations of ace 10 there are, are you take the number of them on the board and look at the remaining ones, right? So there's two aces remaining and three tens remaining. So you do two times three. Which is six. So there's six combinations of ace 10 remaining. He could also have ace three. Maybe, maybe not. Again, he may not play all ace threes because he may only play suited ones. So, you know, there's somewhere between two and, yeah, I think, yeah, three, th- somewhere between three and, or two and six combinations of that. So, you know, you're looking at maybe 10 to 12 nut hand combinations. So, what you want to do is you want to try to find the bluffs and or poorly value bet hands. So, would your opponent value bet queen high flushes? Well, maybe. So, we have queen jack of spades, queen nine of spades. So that's two of them. Would your opponent value bet a jack high flush? Probably not. So, we're looking at two, two value bets that make logical sense. Your opponent's not going to value bet an, a 10. I'm sorry. Your opponent's not going to value bet a 10 or an ace. That doesn't have a, a flush, obviously. Would your opponent bluff with a 10, like Jack 10 or 10 9? If that's the case, then you start finding a lot more bluffs. But then again, would your opponent raise the flop big and then keep betting the turn? Probably not, right? So it's kind of hard to come up with very many bluffs. But as you can see here, the, what you wanna do is you wanna look at your pot odds. You need to win about 33% of the time. So you need to come up, if we have about 12 combinations of nut hands, you need to come up with at least six combinations of bluffs to make this break even, which would give you a two-to-one ratio, which is exactly your pot odds. If he's only bluffing with two combinations, then it's you know 12 to two, and you're nowhere getting getting nowhere near the right pot odds. If instead it is, um, if you can find like 12 bluffing hands, then it is 50-50, because he's bluffing half the time, and he has the nuts half the time. So in this spot, I think it's probably just going to be It's close. The reason it's close is because, again, you have one of the best hands you can have, and if you're folding one of the best hands you can have, then you're folding way too often. But um, I don't mind the fold, but again, it's kind of hard to find very many obvious bluffs. And when it's hard to find very many obvious bluffs, that's often a problem, and you either need to know your opponent's turning some hands like jack-10 into a bluff, or maybe even a hand like ace-9 or ace-jack that he raised the flop with and decided to bet the turn into a bluff. But again, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense because those hands have a lot of showdown value. So it's a crappy spot. Um, You mentioned that you don't really know about your play on all the streets and I I would have played it very differently. I would have raised pre-flop as you did. I would have check called the flop. I would have likely check called the turn and then check called the river. So I would have lost the pot. But by doing so, I would have induced way more bluffs. Here, you bet the flop got raised and then made the pot, which made the pot big. And then your opponent bet the turn, and then blasted the river. So you ended up losing a, a huge pot because you bet the flop. Um, also, if you did play this hand as you played it on the turn, I think you just have to fold. When your opponent bets there, you're going to have a really hard time realizing your uh, your um, implied odds. And also, if your opponent is value betting, he's not going to keep value betting on the river when, he miss, when, the, when the board's bad for him. And when the board's good for him, he's going to keep betting. So you actually probably have reverse implied odds there. So... I think it stuck around a little bit too long. All right, that's it, this is Jonathan Little. Sorry for making this so long. I'll talk to you next time.
0: So I
4: recited Pi to 22,514 decimal places. It took me five hours and nine minutes.
0: Okay, so as I revisit this now, all of the input, um, it it does certainly seem like maybe a fold on the flop. is probably the best course of action. I think just sometimes, uh, you know, when you're up against a tough player, you get tired of being pushed around a little bit. Uh, And so that's where uh, the emotional side of poker comes into play. So I think in in this case here, I wasn't overly emotional. I wasn't on tilt. I mean, Derek and I really hadn't tangled much at all. But I have played a lot with him in the past. And we've taken big pots off of each other. Uh, But I do know he's very capable of making plays. and, And for whatever reason, at this point in time, I decided to... Uh, to sort of uh, stand up against him, and it really wasn't the right time looking back. I think there's a time, especially when you have position. I think uh, you know, playing out of position against a tough player, I tell, my, tell myself, you know, try not to get in those situations, and this was clearly an opportunity to get away when uh, Derek decided to re-raise me on the flop. Uh, in a sense, he kind of let me off the hook by doing that and I didn't accept. <laughs> so, um, so in hindsight, I think that was the place to get away from it. Uh, but I think the analysis of this hand is very good. I think there's some good principles underlying uh, some of the thoughts. And so I'm going to continue to listen to this one and kind of take this under advisement, not just because I lost the pot, but because I think there's a lot of interesting elements to the decision process here. Uh, so that is it for today. Uh, as always, I'm open to your feedback on Facebook, Twitter, or email. I would love to hear your thoughts on how we tackled this scenario. Would, uh, would you like to see more of these? Uh, or do you more like the general concepts or the interviews? So any feedback we get is helpful. Uh, if you have a hand scenario that you want to ask about and maybe get it on the podcast, uh, write it up with as much detail as possible and email it to me at stevefredland at gmail.com. And uh, we'll take a look at those. And maybe it'll be one that we uh, have the pros analyze. Thanks so much for being part of this deal. And we will chat with you later.